0: You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 126. In this episode, I'm speaking to Dory Clark on how to stand out and become an authority in your niche. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, uplevel your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today's guest is Dory Clark, who is an author, speaker, and marketing consultant. She writes for magazines like Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. She consults a diverse range of clients and is also an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University's Foucault School of Business. And we both have a gift for you. I have a Christmas gift for you. Not just one gift, but 12 gifts for 12 days of webinars. Grab your gift at sigrun.com forward slash 126. And there you'll also find show notes of this episode, plus links to Doris Clark's self-assessment for entrepreneurs. I'm so excited to be here with Dory Clark, who I saw speak at Social Media Marketing World over two years ago, and now she's here on the show. Thank you for being here, Dory. I'm so glad to be talking with you, Sigrun. Thank you. And your talk, this is two and a half years ago, uh, was, you know, how to stand out. And I was like, yeah, I want to know how to stand out. And then I come to the room where your talk is and it was full. Like people were standing in the back and I I think I had to stand. Actually, I didn't catch a place to sit. It was a great talk. And since then, I have followed you. Yeah, it sounds a bit... Cheesy, like I've been following you online, obviously. Also, your books, and now you just brought out a new book. So, before we dive into your, uh, you know, most current book and the topic, you've actually written three books. I have,
1: yes. The yeah. newest one just came out, Entrepreneurial
0: You. Entrepreneurial You, and I just shared before we started this that I'm gonna gift that book to some of my clients. Oh, I'm wondering when this episode will be aired. <laughs> <laughs> surprise kids surprise oh yeah I kind of splurged out the secret I was very fascinated but also the first book you know the standout can you tell a bit about Mar- how that came about
1: Yeah, absolutely. The reason that I was interested in writing Standout was I started my own business as a marketing strategy consultant in 2006. And as most entrepreneurs discover very rapidly when they get into business, if they have not discovered it before, you launch, you get out there, and you start to realize, oh my God, everyone seems to be doing what I'm doing. And you get just struck with panic because whatever you initially thought when you were cooking up the plan was so wildly unique, you realize it's not, there's a million people doing it. And before long, people actually start asking you, oh, well, how are you different? And you know, what's your niche? What should we hire you for? And early on, it's really hard to articulate that. You, know, you might know, hey, I'm great. Hey, I have a lot to offer. But it's really hard to be able to distill exactly why. And it's even harder to be able to just kind of put your stake in the ground and say, you know, yes, listen to me, believe me, here's why I'm awesome. That's a really cognitively difficult process for a lot of people. And so I figured that the best way that I could essentially solve this problem for myself and figure out how I could get good at it is to interview. You know, I used to be a journalist, so this is kind of my go to methodology. I figured I would interview all the people that I admired the most, that I thought were doing a really good job of this. And so I interviewed more than 50 top thought leaders across a spectrum of different fields so that I could really understand, number one, how to develop the breakthrough ideas they got known for. Like, where did they come from? What did that process look like? And then number two, how did they actually build a following? How did they get their idea from just being some little... Glimmer in their mind to something that other people were talking about and respecting, and that was shaping the discourse. I wanted to understand that secret. And so I interviewed, you know, these 50 plus people, came to understand that there were patterns in it, and then really tried to break that down methodically so that other people, other regular professionals could look at that and figure out how to incorporate that into their own lives.
0: And what did you find out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, ultimately, what I found out at a high level, and we can get into as much detail about this as you'd like, but at high level, I came to realize that when it comes to spreading your ideas, there's really a three-step process involved in it. And it's interesting because certain parts get talked about much more than others. And so before I really did these in-depth interviews, I realized that culturally, I think we sometimes have a little bit of a skewed View of how virality happens, you know? So I wanted to try to understand that and correct that so that, that people could really have a more accurate sense of what it looks like. But basically, if you're spreading your ideas, there's a three step process involved. And I call it number one, building your network, number two, building your audience, and number three, building your community. And what I mean by that is that the first step, the necessary first step, this part about building your network, that is about assembling around you a high-quality group of people that are essentially your close friends, your advisors. And the reason that this is important, you know, kind of having, I call them your mentor board of directors, is that number one, they are the people who can help you evaluate which ideas are good and which aren't. They're the people that can make your Mm -hmm. ideas better. You know, all of our ideas pretty much suck when they start, right? And the way that they get better is not you hammering away in your garage by yourself. The way that they get better is through discourse and through conversation and through other people adding to them. So you got that. And then once your idea actually is good and is honed, you have this loyal, trusted group of people that can actually be your ambassadors to help get it out into the world. So that's a really important ingredient. Number two is building your audience. And that's where you start communicating your idea to people that you don't know personally. You know, obviously an idea can't really take root if you're only just talking about it to the people that you already know. You have to get more adherence. The way you do that is you start sharing it on a broader level. And this is actually where the internet and technology can be so helpful. You can be writing articles, you can write a book, you can speak about it, you can do a blog or a podcast or what have you. And that's a really good way to let other people who don't know you hear your idea so that then there's a certain percentage of people that are gonna listen to it and say, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed. You know, yes, I really resonate with this. That's how you can begin to build an audience. And then the third step, you know, which is really the kind of crucial tipping point which, you know, let's be honest, it's not easy. It takes time for this to happen. But after you have hmm. worked deciduously building an audience of disparate people who have read your content or heard your content and said, yes, this speaks to me, this is great. Now you need to connect them. Now you need to knit them together so that that audience becomes a community. And you can do that with in-person gatherings. You can do that online. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But ultimately, what you need is to shift from you talking to these people to them talking to each other, and when that happens, that is where they are able to really take your idea and run with it, because it's not just your idea anymore. It becomes partly their idea, and they're excited about it, and that's how the movement grows.
0: Mm. It sounds so easy.
1: <laughs> you know all all great things are easy conceptually of course uh, the execution is a tricky part but in a lot of ways what I really tried to do with my books you know with reinventing you and stand out and entrepreneurial you is to do the very best that I could to take the high level concepts and make them simple because if we at least know what we're aiming for then you know there's a lot of questions that people might have you know what's the best way to do it you know what's the right format you know there's lots to figure out but if you at least have clarity about the big picture goal, that solves a lot of problems so that you at least know that you're moving in the right direction.
0: Hmm. So so many people want to stand out. I'm specifically here talking about entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs. They're really possibly really, really good at what they do. Maybe they've even developed a framework for what they do. So they kind of found their differentiation or what they want to be known for and still they're not asked to speak or they're not, I would say, it maybe starts with a virtual summit, being asked to speak on a virtual summit, then speaking on stage. What advice do you have for these people?
1: Well, I think that the first thing that is important is to calibrate expectations, meaning I did not know any of this. This is only stuff that I learned through personal experience. And then later through interviewing lots of other people and seeing that experience validated by other people as well. But sometimes people get really discouraged because they're not seeing rapid results. And I think intellectually, people understand like, yeah, 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 it takes time. Yeah, 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 you have to keep at it. But I really want to emphasize what that means. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that Oh my gosh, if you've been blogging for three months, like, why haven't I gotten an invitation? You know, it's not about three months. Usually, from what I have discovered in my own experience and talking to many other people, is that it takes between two and three years of hard, consistent effort to start to see any results in terms of your platform building and incoming inquiries. And it takes about five years to start seeing substantial results. That may sound difficult or disconcerting but the truth is the time is going to pass one way or another And so the question to ask is, well, where do you want to be in three years or in five years? How would you like to position yourself? Are you willing to put in the work now? But the truth is, I've now written more than 500 articles that have appeared in places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review and things like that. It wasn't until I had done between two and 300 that I actually started getting a noticeable amount of inbound inquiries. We live in a very crowded environment, and it takes a massive amount of repetition before people start to really know who you are.
0: That's really good to hear. And I can attest this. I am in my fourth year of business. So it takes time. I say this again and again. It takes time to build a business. And still, people are always looking for that, you know, quick wins and fast tracks and get rich quick schemes. And it just doesn't exist. Two and three hundred articles, that's a lot. So did you know you were doing this for that goal? Did you believe that would happen eventually as a return?
1: I did, but I also recognized I could be wrong. <laughs> I, I had I had a hypothesis, essentially. Literally, the way that I thought about this was I had, you know, within about a year or a year and a half of starting my business, my consulting business, I had made it a six figure business, which was great. But I was working very, very hard for the money. I mean, it was kind of like the painful way to make six figures. And, you know, I sort of stayed at the same level for a number of years and I realized that I was not probably ever going to be able to substantially increase that unless I did something different. And so I made a very deliberate decision which i recognized was to a certain extent a gamble because you know i just i didn't know for sure if it would pay off but i thought it would and that was that i would reallocate i was going to get rid of the lower tier of my clients and i was going to reallocate that time to brand building activities the vast majority of which were unpaid and so that actually meant that i took a pay cut you know a fairly substantial pay cut like from one year to the next when i made that decision. I earned $120,000 less than I did the year before. You know, which for a lot of people would just mean, well, they're never going to do that. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I yeah. feel like this is important. Let's see. <laughs> and and I just cut out a lot of work that I felt like was not in the direction that I wanted to move in, and I started spending that time a huge 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 amount of time building content and so it took me several years to actually rebuild the level that I had gotten to before and then surpass it. Now I've dramatically surpassed it. And so the hypothesis did work. It did pan out, but it takes a while for that to happen.
0: Yeah, but you were willing to take a pay cut. You were basically investing into the future And it's a gamble. It's like starting a business. You also don't know if it works or not. And that anytime we start a new project or launch a new online program, we also don't know if it works or not. We hope if we've done some research, uh, hopefully we are right. But how much time did you take off? Was it one day a week or um, more? I didn't track it
1: super specifically, but what I did from about 2012 to 2015, that was the height of my content generation efforts. And so during that time, I was creating... Mm -hmm. A minimum of 10 and sometimes closer to 15 blog posts per month, at least every three days, sometimes every two days. The majority of those were interviews. So, you know, that involves time like, you know, scheduling the interview, conducting the interview, et cetera, then turning it into the post. So, I would estimate maybe the equivalent of about two days a week I was allocating to brand building activities.
0: Yeah, and that's probably what I'm seeing with online entrepreneurs anyway that are trying to build their business. Uh, probably two days of our week are for brand building, marketing, to get future clients, so to speak. Your strategy has been guest blogging. I have read about this in your latest book, Entrepreneur You. There are many different ways, and your method has been a little bit different. You know, a lot of people blog on their own website, uh, they do guest blogging kind of as a once a year or, or you know, a few times a year, but this has been your key strategy. What was the the reason for that? Was it because of your journalistic background or did you just feel that was the best way for you? Well,
1: the goal that I had specifically was the reason I started blogging was that I wanted to write a book. That was it. I probably wouldn't have started blogging if I had not tried to get a book published and then failed. <laughs> what I realized I needed in order to specifically get a book contract is that they were looking for social proof. They were looking for markers of external credibility. And I thought that the fastest way of getting it would not be writing on my own site, which would probably take a while to build traffic. The fastest way to get it would be to borrow the credibility of other well-known brands. And so that was why I started blogging first for the Huffington Post, then for the Harvard Business Review, then for Forbes.
0: Mm. And did you find it easy to get in? Maybe with your journalist background, is a little bit easier than... For many online entrepreneurs, they're finding it difficult to get... Maybe not Huffington Post. I think that's the easiest one to get in. But others, is it easy to uh, start to write for these blogs?
1: <laughs> no, I spent, I don't know, maybe a good nine months trying to get in anywhere. I thought it would be a lot easier as a former journalist. I'm just like, hey, I used to do this for money. Now can I do it for free, please? I had so many... Rejections, or not even rejections. It wasn't that they were rejecting me. It was that they didn't even think it was worth rejecting me. They just didn't respond, even when I had warm introductions from people that I knew that knew these people. So I had to be very, very, very persistent. I had to approach about six colleagues before I could actually get in at the Huffington Post. That was extraordinarily hard. Eventually, I got turned down/slash ignored by Fast Company. I got turned down/slash ignored by Inc. You know, I was just kind of running through the list. But eventually, the way that it happened was that it was kind of by accident. I sold a bicycle to a woman who worked at the Harvard Business Review. And she was not the right person, but she introduced me to someone who was. And by that point, I had so many materials, like so many draft posts, so many kind of pitches that I had assembled for all these other places that had ignored me. I had lots of stuff. So I was able to send it to the HBR guy and it turned out the HBR guy actually liked it. So that was kind of my first entry point. But no, it was not an easy process, certainly even for a former professional journalist. I mean, I had the advantage that of course I had been trained in writing. So I felt like my, I felt like my writing quality was, was good, but it it was not a layup to get in. It was a very demoralizing process. In fact, to be offering one services for free and to have people just not care, but I kept at it. You know, I just have a little ledger in my head about who the people were that rejected me so that one day I can crush them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I love that you share that. This is so important for entrepreneurs to hear. You did not give up. I have a similar gene like you. <laughs> I just don't give up. If I want something, I will just try again and again and again. And I love that you did that. And it just shows stamina. And I guess that's what they ultimately want. They want someone that you prove with your stamina also that it will work eventually.
1: It was never an option to give up. I was, I was going to find a way in. The fortress could be penetrated. I just was going to figure out its weakest spot, for sure. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Please tell me a little bit about the first book, uh, Reinventing You. Uh, What was that about? Yeah. So
1: Reinventing You is a book about how to make changes in your career, whether that is changing jobs, changing industries, et cetera, any of the things that you might do that can be a little bit disorienting and discomforting. And that originally came from my own experiences to a certain extent inspired it. Although the book is really drawn on interviews that I did with dozens and dozens of professionals who had made transitions successfully. I had been a newspaper reporter, which was my first job after I finished graduate school. And I got laid off from that. Really like the worst timing. I got laid off the day before September 11th, 2001. And so the next morning I was like, la la la, I'll go look for a job. And then it's like, no, I am not going to look for a job today. That is, so it it really hit me early on. I mean, I was 22, just how precarious things could be. And so I did reinvent myself. I had to reinvent myself in a number of ways. Uh, And I went from being in journalism to being in politics. I was a spokesperson on a governor's race and then a presidential race in the US. Then I ran a nonprofit for a few years and then started my own business. So I had a lot of transitions early on. And it kind of clued me into the fact that, number one, just about everybody has made shifts of some kind, whether that is voluntary, like, oh, I'm really so interested in this. I think I'm gonna pursue it. Or involuntary, like me, where I got laid off. And so as a result, I thought about the things that I wished I had known and the things I had wished I had done. And I realized, you know, as has been the case with many of my books, if I could talk to enough smart people, I could tease out the underlying patterns and the underlying trends and really create a framework that people could follow to do this process more efficiently. And so I wrote Reinventing You to provide people with the roadmap that I wish that I had had to ideally help guide them through this process so that something that could be scary or upsetting or uncomfortable, hopefully with the right information and the right ammunition, it can become exciting and hopeful instead.
0: I love that. Yeah. So I have gone through several transition (laughs) in my life too. I originally studied architecture, obviously not an architect today. But the latest book, Entrepreneurial You, that's the one that is really fresh and I'm not finished, but I've started to read it and I love it because you are bringing up a topic that at some point hit me that there are so many people out there and you're thinking they're doing well because they have followers, they have likes, uh, you know, the pages and they are maybe speaking or writing a book, but ultimately they're not doing so well because they haven't figured out how to make money. I really like the start of your book about that because I was like, yes, I noticed this too. What's going on here? And how can people fix that? So tell us what you figured out in the book.
1: Well, the biggest takeaway of Entrepreneurial You and really what I tried to focus on is the importance of diversifying one's income streams. Now, as entrepreneurs, to a certain extent, you are diversified because most of us have multiple clients that we work with. And so there is more security in that because if one of them goes away unlike if you have a day job you know with with one paycheck if that goes away you're really in trouble as i discovered when i was a reporter but as an entrepreneur you have multiple clients so if one goes away it's not going to be devastating right but i came to realize over the years if you are doing the same thing the same type of thing for all of your clients that actually puts you at a strategic risk as well. You know, there could be changes. I mean, for instance, you know, you think about technology, right? I knew plenty of uh, web developer folks that back, you know, 10 years ago, they were doing Flash all the time. They were a Flash developer. And it's like, well, you know, Apple decides, nope, we don't want to play ball with that. And then all of a sudden, no one does Flash. That's just like a dead thing. And, you know, for, for any of us, we are subject to changes and you de-risk yourself to the extent that you are doing multiple things. The second point is that in addition to mitigating risk, you also open up a world of opportunities. Because there's probably, for just about every entrepreneur out there, you probably have something that you offer. Let's say it's a high dollar Kind of high touch service there's probably a lot of people that you run across that are like oh sigrin wow i wish i could do blah 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 with you but i just can't afford it now well you know what that is somebody that if you had a lower priced offering would probably do it. And the answer is not for you to cut your rates and give them a discount. The answer is to say, what could I do at a lower price point? that would be a win for me and a win for her. And so if instead of just doing coaching or consulting, you're able to offer an online program that you can charge whatever, 20% of the price for, all of a sudden you've opened yourself up to this entirely new audience of people that are eager for what you do. And you have given them a way to access that. So just thinking about, well, how can I expand my IP so that I'm reaching more people in different ways that work for them? That vastly opens up your possibilities for diversification and for earning. And as a result, you know, for me personally, it was important for me to battle test the techniques that I talked about in Entrepreneurial You, I wanted to see if they worked. And so what I did, my project for myself in 2016 was, I spent the first two months of the year, January and February of 2016, doing these interviews with 50 plus top, you know, high six, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs to understand what they were doing. And then I spent the rest of the year doing two things. One was writing the book. The other was simultaneously implementing the strategies in the book. And I was able to add just a hair shy of $200,000 to my bottom line in 2016, just from applying the things that I had learned in the course of writing the book.
0: Well, that's enough reason to actually read the book. So I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes for you. So writing all these three books, what has been most helpful for you? You obviously, at least for me, and I guess many people will say it, you are now an authority in a niche, like you've been asked to speak and you're in Harvard Business Review. I'm very impressed by that. I was a big reader of Harvard Business Review, less now, more when I was in corporate. I was a CEO and that was a typical thing to read, you know, on the plane. So yeah, I'm hugely impressed by anyone who gets in there, but you have built this authority and how does that connect with everything that you have kind of written about in order for other people to do the same thing?
1: Well. First of all, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I I do think that it's essential for people today to really be asking them, you know, for entrepreneurs especially, but I think for everyone, to be asking themselves, what can I do to uniquely add value and convey that to people? How can I stand out? Because if we don't do that, if we think that just doing our thing, just keeping our heads down, all of that, if that's gonna be sufficient, we are going to be displaced. we I mean, we see every day that globalization, that technological changes, that disruption are here, and it is pushing prices down on almost everything. And in some cases, that's great, because it means you can get you know, a nice TV really cheap, but it is not helpful if it is affecting Your earning ability. There is always, if you are in a Western developed economy, there is always going to be someone who would be willing to do the work cheaper than you, whether that is someone in a different state, whether that's someone in a different country. You will lose that battle, and your quality of life is going to be severely compromised if you decide that you are willing to accept pay cut after pay cut in this race to the bottom. The only solution for individual professionals to follow, to really be able to thrive is to understand that in whatever avenue we're pursuing, we have to distinguish ourselves enough so that people are going to want to specifically seek us out. Not, I need a web designer, but I have to work with that guy. He's the best web designer. Because then if your prices are the most expensive, who cares? Because people are always going to be willing to pay for quality because that is peace of mind to them. And we have to learn how to do that and how to feel comfortable with that. And that has been a struggle and a learning process for me. And I feel compelled to share that with other people so that they can do that themselves. I am not into information hoarding. It really pisses me off, in fact. When people do it and they get all coy, you know, you ask them, like, there was a woman once that I knew who was a very successful artist, and I was asking her about her career trajectory, And, you know, she she has done very, very well. And, you know, you ask a question like, tell me about how you got here. Like, how did you manage to land, you know, this exhibit and, you know, speak at this conference and do that? And she's just like, oh, well, you know, you just just work hard. You just create unique things. And I'm like, that's not true. And you either are lying to me because you want to look like a pure artist or you have just been the luckiest person in the world who's kind of Forrest Gump-like blundered into success But I suspect it's the former because she's a very sharp woman and I don't like it when people are not willing to share What actually happens there is nothing wrong with being strategic about one's career I want to just open it up and let people know there are strategies you should be following You are handicapping yourself if you don't follow these strategies. I want good work to be heard I want good work to be seen and if we persist In keeping that information secret, we're harming everyone. And I would really like to change that. And so in writing Entrepreneurial U, I wanted to lay it out so that people understand what the game really is so that they can actually, for once, be on a level playing field so that talent really can win. Good talent can win and does win if it's a level playing field. But in most of life, it's never a level playing field. And so I wanted to really try to give people as much information as possible so that it could be that.
0: I love a rant.
1: <laughs> ha! Thanks.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I have a really transparent business. And coming back to what you first said about Stand Out, your book, and summarizing your framework, I do think that it is about The network and the community. And I think where people fall short sometimes is that they think just sitting there at their desk and working and having raving clients is enough. No, that's not enough. It's also who do you know? Who is going to spread the word? And like you said, and one of the reasons to do a podcast is also connecting with people and building that broader network. So for you, how important has it been for you to write the books? Because I haven't written a book yet. And I'm like ooh, that's probably what something I need to do and that I need to recommend to my clients to do the same.
1: You know, I do think that the book has been helpful. This being said, I don't think that one necessarily needs to keep traditionally publishing books. I actually suspect that for future books that I do, I will probably self-publish them because it's not so essential that you have like a million traditionally published books. But having one, having a few, I think that that is good from a social proof perspective. And certainly for people like conference organizers that book speakers, it is still to them a badge that, oh, you must know about this. You must have you know enough to tell us in an hour if you wrote a 250 page book about something. So it was kind of a turning point for me in, in building my platform.
0: Yeah, so I better write my book and I will follow your recipe of how to stand out even more. It's not enough to just wear red, I guess. (laughs) Although it helps. Red Uh, helps for sure. Red helps for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Dori. I'm looking forward to finish your book and I'm looking forward to hear also how my community responds to your book because I will be recommended to everyone.
1: Thank you so much, Sigrun. Great talking with you.
0: I have a gift for you. Not just one gift, but 12 gifts for the 12 days of webinars. I'm sharing 12 of my most powerful strategy-packed webinars from my membership site. Everything you need to turn your passion into a profitable online business will be in there. Go to secretcom forward slash 126 to sign up for free. And there you'll also find show notes of this episode and links to Doric Clark's self-assessment for entrepreneurs. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe and give the show a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.